Hi everyone, it's Iris Kimber. I wanted to talk today about a uh, topic that seems to have come up on many occasions in Facebook groups, LinkedIn groups, and in general in some of my consults with therapists. And that's the whole notion of the coach slash therapist conundrum. And really the way I look at this issue is it boils down to what hats do therapists really want to wear and how do they really want to position themselves to the public, either as a coach, either as a therapist, or some hybrid of both. The way that I look at this topic, I think it's important to think of it from a, starting from a historical perspective. I remember <clears throat> probably about 15 years ago, when the concept of a quote-unquote life coach came into being. And from the moment I heard about what a life coach was, my instant reaction, and I know I wasn't alone in the therapy community, was that this sounded very much like OT 101. And honestly, 15 years later, I still feel that way. But what I thought back then was that this should be a real warning to therapists because I felt that a quote-unquote life coach could really encroach on some of what we do and offer to our patients and to the consumers. And I, I called it service substitution and thought that therapists should really watch out for service substitution because if if a life coach starts to take some market share away from you, that could really impact uh, the services that you offer. And in general, in the field, uh, let's say for OTs, life coaches started to encroach. For PTs, sometimes it was personal trainers that were encroaching on what we did. But in general, I think that service substitution, you know, is a danger and that, you know, it's hard enough to be a therapist and compete directly with each other, but when suddenly we're competing with other forces, like coaches, it could be, you know, more of a challenge. But what seems to have happened over the last 15 years is that therapists sort of shied away from thinking that coaches were encroaching on what we do and more and more began to embrace what a coach did to the point of, well, maybe I should even become a coach. And the way I look at this is that therapists started to, to see how, quote-unquote, easy it was for coaches and what made it easier for coaches and for therapists to hold themselves out to the public. Well, on some level, maybe it's easier to market to the consumer as a coach. Obviously, you could avoid the whole uh, do you need a doctor's prescription in order to work with the person if you're a coach? Obviously, you could avoid the whole issue of insurance reimbursement. So I think because of this, therapists started to feel like this could be more um, beneficial because it was an easier route to take to market directly to the consumer. And I, I do understand that, and I do understand the barriers that therapists have in holding themselves out to the public, but I don't know that the solution to that is to become a coach. Now, I also know that, you know, the whole field of, of coaching has become 
more sophisticated over time and that there, there are certain coaching certifications that are valid. And there is no doubt that, that therapists who take some coaching um, courses and get certifications, I mean, in addition to having additional uh, credentials after their name, and don't forget, sometimes you could have too many credentials after your name and really con confuse the consumer. But I have no doubt that some coaching certifications make you a better therapist. But the issue really becomes, are you taking the coaching certifications to have additional tools to offer consumers and your clients? Or are you doing it more as a way to sort of switch identities? And overall, I think that this is something that therapists need to think about seriously when they decide what hat they're wearing when they present themselves to the public. Should it be a therapist hat? Should it be a... Uh, a coach hat or should it be a what I can call a hybrid hat and when you think about it you should think about it and I'll discuss it a little bit not only in terms of credibility but also in terms of liability so if that's a little on the historical perspective of coaching on top of that I think we have to think about the trends that are occurring in our world and that have been actually accelerated by COVID and how that's impacting us. And I think it really is. Because remote learning is now really shaping the future and remote relationships are becoming more of the norm because of COVID, I think that this is also encouraging therapists to reach out to consumers, get clients through remote, remote learning, remote teaching, remote sharing of information. And I think this is a great thing. And why is this great? Because the number one reason why people go to the internet to begin with is healthcare. And by the way, the number two reason is pornography. But the number one reason is healthcare. So that's right in our lane. And who should, you know, we should all want to take advantage of the question is, how should we take advantage of this as a coach or as a therapist? The other thing that, another trend that's happening, and this is, you know, really state by state, but overall, because I get to read so many state practice acts, I could say this is probably happening nationally, is that the scope of practice for us as therapists that's defined by our state practice act is also expanding. And overall, our professions, and it doesn't matter whether you're a PT, an OT, a speech therapist, but we're starting to position ourselves not just as healthcare providers to individuals, which is, you know, how we used to position ourselves, but also now as healthcare providers who are really change agents to institutions and the public at large. So these kind of trends all together, I think, is what's making the whole notion of should I present myself as a coach or not come up to the forefront. My personal take is that the term coaching is overused, it's misunderstood, and that overall it really dilutes what we do as professionals. So in my book, I'd say that any kind of coaching credentials will make you a better therapist, but I'd think long and hard before I would decide to um, just 
put myself out there to the public just as a coach who also happens to be a therapist or not even mentioning me. It's certainly if you put the credentials of a therapist next to the credentials of a coach, from schooling alone, a, a therapist is going to have it. And, and I firmly believe that there's ways to, to use the fact that we are therapists as an asset and not a liability. So overall, I think if someone is, has this conundrum before them and is really thinking about how they're going to proceed, that you really should look to your motivation. What is your motivation? What is your reasoning for holding yourself out to the public as a coach and not as a therapist? And if it's because some of the barriers that I mentioned, I think that there's better ways that you know, we could all address these barriers. The one thing I know for sure is that at the cornerstone of what we do as therapists is patient and family education and sharing information. And that there is no doubt that this can, can be and already is done under the umbrella of being a therapist. And you don't have to be a coach or become a coach to do that. It, it clearly is in your practice act. It clearly is in your, really, again, at the cornerstone of what you do as a therapist. One, one area that I know, because I have <clears throat> consulted with many therapists on this, and one reason why they think that they want to hold themselves out as a coach is because if they want to hold themselves out more broadly and not just within their state, then they have to be concerned about licensing and liability. So I Definitely understand that, but I also think that there's ways that you can hold yourself out as a therapist, embrace what you know if you've taken additional coaching uh, courses, still stay within your practice act and within the confines of your liability and present yourself to the public. So what I think it comes down to is what exactly are you presenting to the consumers as a quote-unquote therapist slash coach. And obviously this depends whether you're presenting to people regionally where you are. And if, you, if you're just doing that, well, then we don't have to worry about licensure because you're licensed in the state where you're presenting information. But one of the nice things, again, because of remote learning and everyone turning to the internet, is that you could have a much broader reach. So. How can you stay, uh, mitigate your risk while having this broader reach and let's say not just stay regionally in your state, but go, let, let's leave it at nationally for now. So for example, let's just take, and this is a real life situation with an OT that I've worked with. An OT, very good, strong neuro background. She developed an online course for people with multiple sclerosis. So she presented this to the public at large. Okay, under her umbrella as an OT. Consumers could take the online course. They could learn about energy conservation, managing stress, managing a chronic disease, managing how to track medication, symptoms, overall self-management uh, topics. And it, it's a good course. Highly, you know, she's done very well with it and is continuing to refine. Yet, what happens, and this 
was a real life situation. If the therapist decided to say, okay, the online course worked, now I want to go and do something else with the material and offer a live webinar. And I was like, well, you know, obviously you could certainly offer a live webinar. But the topic that we ended up discussing is what happens if you offer a live webinar? And part of the beauty of a live webinar is that you could have a question and answer period. And here is where the problem can occur. So if you're offering general information, consumer information, you, you essentially are on what I would call the freeway. It's okay to cross state lines because you're offering general patient information. However, once you have a live question and answer, what happens if someone asks you a specific question about themselves or about their family member? That's where you have to be careful because once you start to offer information that I, what I say applies to one, not to many, then you're running into the, the, the area that's a little more gray and where you have to stay in your lane. So if you're a therapist licensed in the state of New Jersey, you offer the webinar for general information, but someone is listening and they're in Florida, and then they ask you a specific question, you have to be careful how you answer the question because you can't offer, if you offer specific information germane just to that person, you may be establishing what we would call a therapist-patient relationship, and it could be considered that you're treating someone by giving your opinion even in a state where you're not licensed. So that's something that you'd have to be careful about. And, and I think that there's ways to be able to say, you know, that this is something that is too specific to the webinar, yet I think it's a real concern that you've brought up. And I suggest that you either make an appointment with a healthcare provider in your state or go back to your doctor and get a recommendation, or I'd be happy to help you find an appropriate therapist that could address your needs in your state. And I think if we think like this, it's not that different than, let's say, a self-help book. So let's, and we know that there's so many self-help books out there. So let's say a psychiatrist writes a self-help book. And the self-help book uh, can be about some technique or some model, some treatment model. And I, as a consumer, read the, the book by the psychiatrist. I understand I get certain therapeutic models that I could start to think about and apply to myself and do some certain self-help techniques that help me with my own mental health. And there's nothing wrong with that. And there's plenty of self-help books out there. And am I learning something from the author of the self-help book? Yes. Would I call it patient education? Yes. And that's fine. But what would happen if the author had a live reading of the book? So let's say the author went to Barnes and Noble, had a, and of course, this be pre-COVID, had a live reading of the book and did a live Q&A. And I raised my hand and I said, um, I loved your book. I've got a long history of uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. And I'm wondering how... Uh, how you might be able to help me overcome my uh, problem of having to chronically wash my hands 10 times before I leave the house. Now, I think that the author would 
try to steer clear of talking directly to my symptoms and offering me specific suggestions because the psychiatrist would not want to uh, connote that we have a patient therapist relationship. So he probably would say something that I can't address your specific concerns as it relates to you personally, but in general, somebody with OCD and then could answer the question generally. So therapists tend to say, well, if I, if I call myself a coach, then I could answer these questions specifically and work with people out of state lines. And, you know, what I say back to them is, well, if you're offering, if you're crossing state lines with information as a coach, where are you getting your liability coverage from? So if you're distancing yourself from therapy by holding yourself out as a coach and leaving the umbrella of therapy, remember you're also leaving your umbrella of liability. And that's a huge problem because you're exposing yourself. So I think that, and I know that there are um, uh, liability policies that deal with, co for coaches, different kinds of coaches. And I certainly, you know, for everyone who's listening, if you're actually thinking of staying out of the lane of therapist and going into the lane of coach for certain things, make sure you have professional liability insurance that covers you for being a coach because you can't both claim that you're a therapist and hold yourself out as not a therapist but yet expect coverage under your therapy um, umbrella so and and there are there are uh, policies for this for example sometimes you could get coverage under what's called speakers insurance and for speakers insurance, you know, it protects you against things that are called like errors and omissions. So if I'm speaking to you now, and I actually do have speaker's insurance, I'm protecting myself against actual or alleged errors or omissions that I may be offering. So maybe I'm stating something and you're listening and maybe it's going to end up being in incorrect or you're going to try to think it's incorrect or you're going to accuse me of, of offering incorrect information. So if that would happen and you wanted to sue me because of this uh, podcast and the information I'm giving you, you know, I would have coverage under my speaker's insurance. I wouldn't have coverage under my professional OT or PT insurance because I'm not providing that. So generally, you know, the way that I look at this is that if you're offering information and again, any kind of patient information, general patient information, which is what I think a lot of people try to do as a quote-unquote coach, that they can do this under their umbrella of being a therapist. You just have to make sure you stay in the lane that is general information, like someone would get in an online course, that someone would get in reading a book, that someone could get from a webinar, and steering clear of giving personalized information that one of your viewers or one of your readers may seek out. And one of the nice things that you can do also is have a general disclaimer. And there are many kinds of disclaimers, and I've 
offered this to therapists before, so anyone can feel free to email me at iris at nytherapyguide.com, and I can give you a template, no charge, on a on what you can include as a disclaimer, whereas you're really basically holding yourself out to the public, still as a therapist, but stating that the purpose of what I'm offering you is for general patient information only. It does not, um, it does not reflect specific information to your particular set of circumstances. This does not connote that we have a, a patient-therapist relationship and this, this, you listening and participating does not take the place of an individual consultation with a therapist or with a healthcare provider or with your physician. And that disclaimer can go a long way to really setting the record straight for what you're offering and what you're stating that you're, you're not offering in terms of specific um, recommendations to a person. I don't think we've heard the last of uh, whether someone should hold themselves out as a coach or a therapist, and I think it's a great discussion to have, and I, I do encourage everybody to really think long and hard at how they're holding themselves out to the public, why they're, they're choosing to hold themselves out the way that they can, and in my heart of hearts, I truly believe that the overwhelming majority of you can Hold yourself out to the public while still being a therapist and not have to feel like you have to give up being a therapist to avoid certain barriers like licensing and like malpractice. I think you can do it all within the same thing and honestly have a lot more credibility. So thank you for listening. I hope everybody's staying safe and since I'm doing this before election day, but you may not hear it before election day, I hope everyone's going to go out and vote. Thank you.